Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. Today, I am excited to have as my guest, Suzanne Chabot, who is a local therapist um, in my area. And uh, she's going to be talking with us today about symbolic loss. So, Suzanne, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast, where we are all students and teachers. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy, again, we're happy to have you. Um, so just so the audience becomes familiar with who you are, tell us about who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, as you're going to learn about me, probably throughout this entire episode, is that I'm very holistic in nature, and that would probably start off with my education. So my bachelor's degree initially was psychology and I was going to minor in religious studies and I ended up taking enough courses in religion and philosophy to double major. So then I ended up double majoring in religion and psychology and then I went on to nursing school and from there worked in psychiatry as a nurse and went to graduate school for marriage and family therapy. And as I went to school I worked nights on a psychiatric unit that treated eating disorders in New York City. So I worked nights, went to school during the day, got all my hours for uh, as a therapist, uh, the same place that I interned in New York City at a place called Blanton Peel, and met my husband and moved back upstate and worked in both uh, community health nursing at a local office here in Utica that treats... Um, high needs population in the area and the refugees the residency program is there it's a teaching place you know um, family medicine center and then as I transitioned over the years I have initiated and started my own private practice where I see individuals and adults and couples it sounds like you have a really diverse background and Mm -hmm. it's it's for me, my background was also in psychology, but as you know, you know, from our conversations, you know, outside of the podcast, mm-hmm. I've gradually integrated, due to personal circumstances and my own experiences with loss, holistic perspectives that can merge quite nicely with the with the science based field of psychology, which has allowed me to expand my beliefs and embrace different perspectives that have allowed me to, you know, to continue to move forward on my life path. So I appreciate the holistic approaches and appreciate what you bring to the table for not only for me, but for our listeners. Now, the name of your private practice is Heart and Hand Therapy. Am I correct? You are correct. Okay. So first of all, what is the mission of Heart and Hand Therapy? And secondly, how'd you come up with the name? Because I found that to be very, very unique. Yes. So, of course, the mission, and it's on my website too, is really to provide a safe environment for my clients, whether or not they're a couple or an you know or an individual coming through the door. Um, so, I'm simultaneously collaborating with them in my relationship with them, but then also witnessing and working with them to evolve and create the sustainable change, and then hopefully. To be able to be able to for them to be able to witness and do the same in their relationships moving forward with themselves and other people. Okay. So, 
you, we we're going to talk, as I mentioned earlier, about symbolic loss. Yes. Oh, did and, you before we before we continue? I didn't want to forget just about the name, the how I came oh, up with the name. Absolutely. You want to dip into and dip into that? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll have to send you a. You'll have to send me a bill for that for for <laughs> for, for your co-hosting at that particular point. So no, no. I have my notes in front of me because I can go off on tangents. Hey, me too. So between the two of us, we'll kind of get 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 it back together. Yes, please tell us us more about how you came up with the name. So actually, if memory serves, I think my mother had thrown out that, just that suggestion. And it stuck with me because of the nature of how I work. And I think that a lot of people feel that a lot of people that come through the door are much more cognitive in nature as far as like that part of them. And they're not as in tune with their bodies or their emotional parts. And so what that really symbolizes is like holding your heart in your hand, yourself, your Mm -hmm. own, but then also for other people and for my relationship with them, right? I'm creating this safe place for them to really explore those really vulnerable, tender parts of themselves um, and so it symbolizes all of that. It makes sense, and I know for for me, um, you know, for a lot of a lot of men that I know, we're mm-hmm. pretty much in our heads. We're cognitively yes. based. Yeah, you um, are. Yes, we are, and I mean, we don't really have a vocabulary for feelings. I don't. Many men don't. I mean, we tend to get to our feelings through what we're thinking, and. Um, you know, so yeah, I can appreciate, I can appreciate that, but also that, you know, you know, how we can, you know, how that can help us eventually access our feelings. And I, I like that heart and hand, it kind of merges the best of both worlds. So, yeah. okay, I think we got, we got that covered. So uh, why don't we delve into the world of symbolic loss? How's that sound? That sounds perfect. All right. I want to read you a definition that was developed by Catherine Walsh Burke. She wrote a book called Grief and Loss, Theories and Skills for Helping Professionals uh, back in 2006. And this is her definition of symbolic loss. She describes symbolic losses as, as that there are many types of losses that are not due to death, but represent the loss of relationships, intact systems, and even dreams for the future. Does that definition resonate with the work that you do with clients? Absolutely. (laughs) Every single client, probably, to some degree. Yes. How did you personally develop an interest in symbolic loss? Why did it become such an area of interest for you um, as, as a therapist? I think because... Inherently, as a therapist, somebody comes through the door knowing that either they need to change or something in their life needs to change, or they're going through some sort of crisis or shift in their either in their family or their life. Um, And so inherently, all of those things. With any change, there's a loss. I probably that's probably my number one message that I send out the door to my, there have like a top 10 list, like on the David Letterman mm-hmm. show. If I had a top 10 list of things I say to clients, that would probably in the top, be in the top three, that with any sort of change that there comes loss and there is some sort of grief. And it doesn't matter if it's a good or a bad loss, or if it's like a, 
a gargantuan loss or just like a little sliver of change, right? There's still some sort of, you lose something. You typically gain something too, but. And I would agree. I think particularly when you're entertaining any type of change or transition, whether it is unintended or unplanned or planned, Mm -hmm. there's always going to be, there's always going to be loss and gain and particularly one of the losses that I can I can think of is a loss of those behaviors that were once comfortable for us but are mm-hmm. no longer going to serve us moving forward. Um, and I think it's kind of the yin and yang with everything. There's just and it, it's it's like you got to kind of balance it out and say, mm-hmm. okay, moving forward, what's going to be the best? But many many times yeah. clients are afraid of change, even though they know change yes. is good for them because of what they stand to lose um, as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think too that sometimes it depends, you know, every person is their is their own. But walking through the door, what their expectation is or what they feel as though what needs to change isn't always what truly needs to change. For example, if I see a couple, if they come through the door and you know, one or both of them believe that they need to the other person needs to change or that I'm going to see that the other person, like somebody's right, somebody's wrong. Um, that's usually not the case. They each need to look in the mirror and change and then be a witness to that. Um, of course, that depends. It's a case by case. But so sometimes just like the acceptance of that shift in expectations and, and what needs to happen to change, that in and of itself is a loss. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. What are the most common types of symbolic loss that your clients present with? What do, what, what do you see primarily with them? So I created a list, and this is not all-inclusive, but I would say that these are the top runners, right? Oh, wait, wait a minute. It's got to be all-inclusive or else we can't go on. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Suzanne. It's black and white, and that is it. <laughs> that's it? So I, I, I don't know. I would have, I would have, that's, that's a loss for me now. I'm going to have to process. Oh, no. <laughs> I might need therapy. Okay. Well, I know a gal. (laughs) Yeah, I heard she's pretty good, too. Yeah. (laughs) Let me know. Give me your contact information. I'll I'll ring her up after the show. Yeah, we'll we'll go over that at the end of the episode. Perfect. (laughs) So we'll say breakups and divorce are top runners. Chronic illness and loss of physical functioning in some sort of way. A betrayal. So... What encompasses a betrayal, I mean, this, and people usually think of infidelity, but it's really any sort of secret where there was a loss of trust, a loss of reality of whatever was going on prior to that within the relationship. Family life cycle changes and transitions and how that leads to a change in role or function. Um, and then like just the subsequent acceptance of the said change. So, for example, transition, transitioning to an empty nest and having adult children and how to navigate that. Yeah, I remember we went through empty nest. We had a house full of, of children, grandchildren, and then they were all gone. And it was like Sherry and I were looking at each other and saying, OK, what do we do now? Yeah. And, and that represented a loss. It represented an adjustment. The other thing I was thinking of, too, in terms of individuals who have lost their homes in floods, 
children mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. separated from their families because they're placed in foster care. And I think of recently the tornado that occurred, I think it was in Perryman, Texas, that just mm-hmm. leveled, leveled that whole town. You can, um, and one of the things that reminded me of was a client that I worked with when I, I was a therapist at the McPike Addiction Treatment Center years ago mm-hmm. who had lost his home and all of his belongings, all of his memories in Hurricane Katrina. And I asked him, I said, tell me what that experience was like for you. And he said to me, he goes, Dave, it was like I lost my history. And to me, that was the most profound statement at that time that I heard about the impact of what I now know to be symbolic loss. Yeah, yeah. How do we honor that and carry it forward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's, that is significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there is a very high need in this area for more uh, mental health practitioners for our refugee population because there is a very big. Um, we just we have so many different populations from so many different countries, and the need uh, totally outweighs w- who is here to help these individuals, um, especially folks that have uh, the cultural sensitivity and awareness to do so. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a stigma associated too. I mean, we have language barriers and it's a huge challenge. And there's also, I'm sure, acculturation issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and a variety of different things. And also the loss of their experience because of leaving what was familiar for mm-hmm. them to come to a, to a, to a country that um, is strange to them. Absolutely. You know, when I worked at the Family Medicine Center here in Utica, I was there for, let's see, between 2013 and 2000, maybe the end of 2017. So it was probably, it was my favorite place to work as a nurse, especially to witness people come from a war-torn country to not know any English to learn a new language, to become assimilated, to navigate the system, to start a new job, <clears throat> and to just be a witness, just as a nurse in a clinic. They would come in, they'd come in with their families, they'd have interpreters, and then just to watch them grow and assimilate. And um, I don't know how I would be able to do that. And then to also know the history that they went through and what they did lose, you know, who was back home, you know, um, learning a new culture and assimilating to a new culture. You know, there's loss of their own. I'm sure a fear of, you know, losing part of who they are. And, you know, where I also, where I teach at Pratt, Mm. um, you know, Pratt uh, School of Art, I have a lot of students from different countries. And, you know, I I know the struggles that they have have had to, um, you know, to acclimate to a new culture, to a new set of standards, and try to kind of learn how to fit in and adjust. And I and I thought, I also thought, for me, what would it be like for me if the, the, the shoe were on my foot? If I had to go to South Korea, if I had to go to Dubai, if I had to go to Thailand, and then all of a sudden learn, um, learn a second language, learn what was culturally appropriate, in addition to trying to get an education, that would be overwhelming. And I'd also be simultaneously deal, dealing with the loss of what was familiar from my own, you know, with my own cultural surroundings. So, yeah, it's like keeping what you're proud of, right? How do we honor that 
And then also you're growing all these new roots. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. No. And that's why <laughs> it's I think. Incredible. Well, and I think that's one of the goes back to one of your points in terms of one, not only having the necessary resources, but having trained health service, health professionals, mental health professionals in order to, to deal with those challenges. Um, and again, it's for me, it's always been an issue of there's always been less resources or less quality resources to, than, you know, the, to provide for many more for many people who need it. And we need more and more resources to keep up with the demand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's a high needs population. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. So what therapeutic approaches do you find to be most effective with your clients in addressing symbolic loss? This is a hard question. <laughs> that's why so, they pay that's why they pay yeah. me the big bucks to ask, to ask <laughs> these hard. questions man. <laughs> it's hard to compartmentalize so i'm going to go on with like the holistic approach so i i am eclectic in nature and hope but i am very holistic and i have pulled from different uh, therapeutic models that intertwine under that umbrella i would say so i utilize all of those with my clients meaning I am very big into narrative therapy and the stories we tell ourselves and how we navigate and change through the lens of our history and the stories that have been told to us, the stories that we tell ourselves and how that may shift and change depending on what is happening and and happened to us. So there's that narrative and being able to witness, which I think is probably the number one thing, is to be able to be a witness for somebody's story and their loss and just to join them in it and not not to try to fix it or rush through rush well I would say over it rush over it because I think people come in most people come in with the narrative how do I get over this and the answer to that is you don't (laughs) you get through it and um, there are going to be moments where it's hard over the years and those probably will be you know fewer and further in between, but it is not getting over something. Um, So first is the narrative. And then there is always the cognitive, the stories we tell ourselves, our thoughts, but then also bringing it down those few inches into our body and being able to really bear witness to our own bodies. And usually that is a way to tap into our emotions, especially if we don't have the language to really identify what we're feeling is the first step would be, okay, what can I observe what's happening in my body right now? Like I notice something and being mindfully aware of that, even tracking it, being observant of what's going on around you. And when you notice patterns sometimes in your body, then you can link it up to an emotion and then it becomes a little easier to know, okay, I felt sad at whatever time this was last week <clears throat> and my body was feeling this way. Maybe I'm feeling sad now. Well, and then be curious about that. So there is the somatic experiencing piece that I use with my clients and then relationally, right? It's all intertwined with that. My relationship with my client, my client's relationship with themselves, their relationship with 
whatever the change in the loss or perhaps with each other, if they're a couple navigating some sort of transition or loss, or if it's an individual navigating a breakup. And so I would say utilizing all of those, and this is all dependent on the person or the people that are in front of me and their uniqueness, each of their loss is their own, which again, you go into the balancing, right? Because Mm -hmm. everyone's loss is their own. Nobody is the same. And it's honoring that, but then at the same time, being able to be part of those that have experienced loss. So it's like that balance of this is my own, right? I'm going to give myself grace, but then also being able to relate with others that have had experiences or somebody that can bear witness to you and you feel as though you're not alone. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And what you're you're talking about in terms of bearing witness, being present, not offering solutions, uh, because there isn't any solutions to anything that's permanent. And whether it's loss due to death or loss that's not related to death, those are still permanent changes that we, we need to undergo. So it is important, I think, for us to find somebody who is going to bear witness to that, be willing to sit in the pain and allow and create a space for that person's story to come out. And that, what you were talking about, actually relates to a concept known as expert companionship, which is what we, one of the things we talk about in our death, my death, dying, and bereavement class, mm-hmm. which was, was developed by Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun, which is simply being present, being able to bear witness to that person's most unbearable pain and being willing to be there for the long haul and allowing that story to unfold. And that ties in so nicely with with the narrative therapy piece because we need to be able to create a safe place for that narrative to occur. Mm -hmm. And we also have to, I think, when requested, provide feedback um, so Mm -hmm. the individual can use that feedback to then integrate the losses that they've into their ongoing Mm -hmm. narrative and you know make it a part of their ongoing story and use that yeah. to find to define meaning and and purpose and just to live in a to live a purpose driven life sure yeah because it's not to say that there aren't things to learn in, in order to help you cope coping skills but then also um to utilize suggestions, open-ended questions, ways to think about some of their story through a different lens um, and be curious about it. And part of the buried witness, somebody once said to me recently about, and this is like the body and mind again, we're not, we're not snakes. We don't eat things whole, right? We savor it and we chew it. We swallow it. We digest it before it moves through us and out Mm -hmm. of us. And that's the same kind of thing that's happening with this story, right? It's not like you have to rush through some sort of transition or loss. It's about that experience. I think that's a nice, nice metaphor. Yeah. And, and, And time is relative when it comes to working through loss. It's going to take as long as it's going to take. And as long as there is movement, you know, the, the, the number of days, the number of, of months, the number of years, it really does not matter at this point as long as there's, there's movement. Mm-hmm. And if there's movement, 
with the movement to acceptance is gonna is gonna come pretty, you know it's gonna, it's gonna come mm-hmm. um and as long as as long as we are, are moving towards that point and consciously making that choice to do so mm-hmm. absolutely okay yeah all right um what are one or two things that the audience can learn from your experiences and your experiences with clients, maybe your personal experiences that can help them effectively transcend challenge? Hmm. I feel like I've spoke to some of this, but I have three things probably. Okay. So I would say one is grace and self-compassion would be number one. That there is not necessarily, again, like this etiquette book for a shift in somebody's life. There are people that we can relate to, and I think that um, connection is a big piece of it, but then also that balancing act of relating to others, but then owning that your grief is yours and yours only, and really um, allowing that to sit with you so you can give yourself the, the grief and the self-compassion and then not allow I, the I shoulds to overtake overtake you. And then the... Um, the idea of non-judgmental witnessing. So there's the witnessing of yourself and then your relationship with whoever your supporter is, right? In this case, it's as with a therapist. And, hmm. the environment of being witness needs to be safe. So you need that safety. And so I think that it's important for people to understand that if you feel uncomfortable or not safe or that your your connection with a therapist or somebody of, you know, a group, perhaps a support group, if you don't feel that comfort or that connection or uh, that the chemistry is really a place where you can really open up and do that work. It's okay to make a change and try to find somebody you can, because quite honestly, that's the most important thing. It's not really the therapeutic model or um, how many degrees somebody has on their wall. It's the relationship that is number one. And I tell my clients that, that it's okay. It's okay to break up with me (laughs) if they Mm -hmm. need to, um, because that's the most important thing. I was listening and I was listening to one of your episodes and I think it was your second one and you quoted, uh, there was a song, you brought up a song and I, I loved that because I'm always, I feel like if I could do anything sometimes um, and it would be, I would be able to support myself, I would love to make up soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. I love listening to music and relating it to things. And I was listening to Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell a few weeks ago. And as I was listening to it, I thought that the words were just like perfection for this topic. Um, And the title of your podcast 
and just the process of therapy in general. Like there's so much depth in the lyrics of that song. Um, and so I feel like those top three things and, and really what I want to bring drive home is, and I'm going to quote David Kessler because when he talks about grief, this is a big deal, but it's also just, I think when somebody's going through the journey of working on themselves is to live fully and grieve fully. And part of that is uh, vulnerability is included in that, right? Knowing our emotional parts and being able to express them when appropriate um, within boundaries, right? Appropriate boundaries. And then like that life is of highs and lows and um, that we're forever growing and we're forever learning, right? That we need to have that curiosity um, with each other, but also with ourselves. So we're not judging ourselves. We're, com- we're more compassionate with ourselves. All of that is in this song. Like if you were to look at the lyrics in this song, and then I just, I wrote down just one quote from the song, even though I could probably just like, we could play mm-hmm. the song and have a whole thing on the song. But the quote is, well, something is lost and something's gained from living every day. That's towards the end of the song. And that's right after a line about um, being vulnerable and saying, I love you to somebody. So that's a lot for one to two things, but. <laughs> yeah, well, those are one to two <laughs> things with subcategories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with subcategories, but that's okay. Um, the thing that, that, was, that kind of spoke to me as you were talking about your takeaways from your experiences with clients and in your mm-hmm. own experience is that we, we, it is important for us for any type of change, loss, or transition to empower ourselves to mm-hmm. find places that are safe, to walk away from experiences that no longer serve us, from support groups that no longer serve us, or even from therapists who we thought we aligned with and we didn't. And I was glad to say that you tell clients that it's okay for you to divorce me. It's okay mm-hmm. for you to say goodbye to me because this is your journey. And I'm just I'm grateful to be a part of it. But if you feel that you can do better with somebody else, I'll support you with that. That's not only ethical practice, that's practice that's born out of compassion. It's it's compassionate practice. Mm -hmm. And I think for individuals who are grieving or going through any other type of life transition, to know that they are being heard, to to know that they are being empowered, and to know that they have choices, I think is huge. Because loss in and of itself and the grieving process, whether it's because of symbolic loss or loss due to death, is just so disempowering in terms of just how it immobilizes mm-hmm. us on so many levels, particularly in early grief, that we need to find ways to empower ourselves any way we can. Yeah, and that connection is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Wow, that was a, those are a lot of really, really good takeaways. Thank you for that, Suzanne. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it wasn't too much. No, it's never too much. Never too <laughs> much. Um, not at all. So, to wrap up, how can people get in touch with you? What else do you have going on that that we need to know about? This is kind of, we're going to give you a few minutes to promote yourself a little bit. Sure. 
So I work um, right now in the afternoons and evenings, and I have hours Monday through Thursday. And then um, I have, they can access me if they want to go to my website, and that would be heartinhandtherapy.com. And it's spelled heart like the heart in your body, H-E-A-R-T, inhandtherapy.com. And I also am on the, our local radio station. It's called Light 98.7 every Wednesday morning at 7.20 a.m. until 8 a.m. So if you're driving on your commute in the morning or you have access to the 98.7 app, you, they usually will present some sort of relationship dilemma for me to uh, discuss and navigate through, pull apart and dissect <laughs> within that time frame. And I'm sure you dissect and pull that apart very well. <laughs> you have to be pretty succinct on the radio, so it can be a challenge. But we, it's fun. It's really fun. Well, yeah, it is. Just like doing this podcast so far has been been fun for me. And yeah. you know, um, well, Suzanne, it's been just an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. And um, I hope we can do it again. I hope we can too. I know we have some ideas up our sleeves. Yes, we do it's for been a return. Great. <laughs> it has been. It's for a return and great engagement. So, with that, that's a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. To everybody who is listening, thank you, and I wish you peace.